0: This is SEMO, where we help you see more. Hi, I'm Alex Semenzato and this is the SEMO Podcast. Welcome back to another week. Hope everyone's having an awesome day so far. The summer is finally upon us and hope everyone's enjoying the warmer weather. Um, some exciting news the Semo podcast was featured in the itunes new and noteworthy section last week so thanks to everyone for listening and please continue to share to anyone that you think may find the podcast interesting really really appreciate it anyways in today's episode we speak with joe kennedy he's one of the founders of the unit london And essentially, it's a story of how two young entrepreneurs hustled from an initial idea to becoming one of the hottest new galleries and platform for artists in London, and now with an international presence. Joe gives us a lot of insight into how he and Johnny built the unit brand. And also from their perspective, a lot of people argue, you know, the art world can be sterile and stuffy at times. And that's certainly something on the agenda for the unit London to change. A big topic of conversation in this episode is how they're breaking down the barriers of elitism and building a brand that resonates with a new generation of artists and art lovers. So we get a lot of insight. It's a good deep dive into kind of the evolution of the brand. Um, And yeah, thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the CMO podcast. I'm currently in Probably one of the coolest offices I've ever been to, Uh, Joe Kennedy, um, one of the co-founders of the art gallery, Unit London, uh, surrounded by some pretty cool artwork. Joe, what's up? How are you? (laughs) Very well, man. Very well. It's great to have you here. This
1: office is a big, big work in progress. (laughs) It's been like a year of like basically being a, a quasi storage room and it's now getting to the point where, yeah, the lighting's nice. There's a nice ambiance in here. It's getting to a nice stage now.
0: No, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, how you been? How's your week? I, I was here last night. You had a, a private private view, which was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been a busy week for sure.
0: Uh, it's, they seem to get
1: busier and busier here at the gallery, to be honest. Um, yeah, we just launched this Wang Hong Yi show. So we had the collector's dinner on Wednesday night. And then last night was the PV. We had, I think there was like 450 people through the door. Wow. Which is actually like quite tame for us. So um it was nice. There was like a nice atmosphere, good group of people, like a nice mix of um collectors and artists and enthusiasts and and
0: collectors. even having like even like the detail to like you had like Japanese gin and stuff. Was that is that yeah, just kind of part of the gallery gin. or was that something to do with the artist or
1: no, Uh it's it's really that's our job is to kind of tie in like interesting partnerships around the shows. Um and it does it works. I mean it's the subtle details I think which make events special. Mm. Um cause there's thousands of gallery shows that go on every Wednesday, Thursday night in London. There's mm. So many shows on and, um, and yeah, like a big focus for us is making sure that ours is special and ours are memorable and creating a real experience for people. Yeah. So, uh, those touches, I'm glad you noticed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we even, great- even, even to the floor,
0: like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they laminated. So, um, the artwork is very floral. Um, and even on the floor, they kind of had a laminate down, which kind of created this immersive experience. But mm. we're going to get into all of that and what you guys are doing to kind of add that extra touch and detail um, at the unit. But first, we are going to do some icebreakers. Are you ready?
1: <laughs> I think
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> um, paint or paper?
1: Is this a one word answer? Is this a. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, paint, I'd say.
0: Okay. If you had your own talk show, who would your first three guests be? First would be David Attenborough, hands
1: down. I love that yep. man. I love that man. Everything he stands for, everything he does, I think he's great. Um, I'd have to have Steven Gerrard on there as well. I'm a big Liverpool fan. So art and football are my two big passions, I would say. Yes. Um, Steven Gerrard. And then who else would I have? It's a tough one. Maybe Joe Rogan, actually. Now yeah. we're on the podcast hype. I love Joe Rogan. I listen to all of his stuff. So yeah. maybe, I mean, I think he's also a great conversationalist. Yeah. Be like, and he has so many stories to tell. Uh, he's like a sponge. He's spoken to thousands of people like across all industries now. So I think he'd be a good person to have.
0: Good answers. To, to uh, well, I can't I guess you answered it then. Uh, but football or rugby? <laughs> Definitely football. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you have to wear a T-shirt with one word on it for a year. Which word would you choose? God. Um, God. <laughs> God, okay. Uh, you're in a bar. What's the house drink? Uh, whiskey Sour. Nice. Uh, you could go anywhere in the world right now. Where would you go?
1: Turks and Caicos, I think.
0: Turks and Caicos, nice. I, just, I went there when I was like a kid. and Did It was you? one of the best holidays. It looks amazing. You can get like little Jeep dune buggies and just drive around and it's a Caribbean. It's amazing. Yeah, it looks
1: incredible. Yeah, you know? one of my friends just went recently and it just looks like paradise. Yeah. Yeah.
0: amazing nice white beaches and stuff mm. um and lastly a quick fun fact about you fun fact
1: about me i have furry earlobes
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll, uh, we'll be sure we'll be sure to send those up close photos of the furry lo- <laughs> yeah
1: i have ears for radio basically
0: <laughs> there you go um keep yourself warm in the winter <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we're here uh, at the Unit London, um, a 6,000 square foot gallery in the heart of London in Mayfair. Well done. we well, six years mm. in the process. Mm. Tell me about the Unit. What is it?
1: Uh, yeah, we started like September 2013. That was the first show. I think it was the 5th of September 2013. So yeah, we're in our sixth year. Um, and... It's, it was basically like a reaction to the industry at large. You know, I think like our generation have, um, and, and are really quite disillusioned with the art industry because, um, it's run by at large, the industry is run by a very small group of people, um, who have their own interests and, um, are very financially driven and, um, and they don't communicate to, uh, let's say our generation in the ways that we need to be communicated in. So, um. We all expect transparency. We expect um, to be spoken to by brands. We expect a dialogue, and the art industry isn't really set up to do that. They don't really like um, going out of their way to engage new audiences who aren't necessarily of commercial value to them. Um, so this idea of like mass engagement and, and going out to younger people and trying to engage them in contemporary art and have a have a like interesting discourse around um, creativity and art that's not coming from the big galleries, really. And so, uh, so we were just frustrated with the industry as outsiders looking in um, and decided that we wanted to, you know, do something for ourselves and with the ambition of it ultimately becoming something big, industry defining, something that could actually change the way things are done and how art is perceived. But at the time, obviously when we started, it was, it seemed very much like a pipe dream Um, and no one really believed in what we were doing at the very beginning. But um, but that that kind of just spurred us on and gave us the energy and the, and the impetus really to, to push forward and, um, and try and make a change in the industry. And now I think, you know, yeah, in our kind of, in year six, we've come a very, very long way from where we started. And um, the artists that we're working with now have really grown and really developed over the past couple of years. As the galleries flourish, they've kind of come on that journey with us. And, but yeah, to answer your question, I think it's more like, um, it was really a frustration with the industry that's, that gave us the initial drive to start up the business um, combined with like a huge amount of energy and ambition um, and probably also naivety in terms of like believing that we could actually change this like behemoth industry and make a difference um, was probably a bit kind of naive, you know. if you If you haven't run a business before, you feel like you can, or at least we felt like we could change the world and that this gallery is going to change everything um so I think that naivety played a big part in the success because uh we didn't kind of try and rationalize or didn't really consider all of the pitfalls that you go through like running a small business like they we hadn't had the experience of doing it so everything was an opportunity everything was a challenge that we wanted to take on um and and it's still the case now, to be perfectly honest, like even though like the gallery has grown to, a, to a, like a really like interesting place, uh, we're still learning every day um, about how to manage people, how to run a business, how to expand and grow, how to develop artists, how to manage relationships. Like we're still learning right now. Um, and it's all come from a very organic place at the end of the day. Like it it started as like a, a vision and a dream. And um, it's amazing to see how people have responded to that
0: yeah and what and what was that initial spark i mean what were you doing before like where did this frustration of the art industry come from were you admirer of art were you an artist um i you know kind of saw that you were in the advertising industry and then now you're yeah you know then you decide to set up a gallery with with your co-founder why where did that (laughs) why did that come from like one morning you woke up and go let's do a gallery we're gonna change the world
1: well we met i mean johnny and i I think also like a big part of the business, definitely like a, a kind of defining um, element of what we do is the fact that we're a partnership and yeah. um, basically doing this with my best mate. Yeah. And uh, we'd got, we met at school when we were like 11 years old and we were always in the same art class and the same classes. And we were always kind of scheming and plotting at school about, you know, doing things like creatively together, whether it was like, you know, we had a band and we were like 15. It was awful, but you what know. What was it called? Uh, we didn't even have a
0: name. Uh, we didn't have
1: a name. But it was just, <laughs> like we get together and like and like you know, um, yeah, we just get together and like jam and like we, we we're always trying to to do things creatively together. Um, and but but you know, like we never really realized it would form. A gallery yeah you know that was never really our, our intention as young guys um but but we met and we always like shared the same like ideas um even to this day like we've never had a disagreement on anything we think in exactly the same ways and um our tastes and our visions are so aligned and um we left yeah kind of met when we were 11 spent a lot of time together and then left to go to separate universities i went to manchester and studied psychology um were you at Manchester as well? Yeah. You yeah. were, yeah, yeah. It's a fun place. Yeah, it is good So <laughs> there was a bit of psychology in Manchester. <laughs> and then, uh, and John went to Warwick and, and did English and theatre. Didn't speak for a couple of years. And then after Manchester, I went to um, work in advertising and I got an internship at a, an agency in Australia and had a, like an amazing experience in Australia. I was supposed to go there for a month and end up staying there for a year. I got offered a job as a junior planner and this great agency and um, had a really great setup out there. And then basically came back to London after a year of living there, and was just struck by like the opportunity in the um, the history of London. Because you know, growing up here, you, I think you take it for granted, yeah. like all the opportunity that you have living in this city. All like you know, walking down the street, I remember just coming off the plane and like I walked past a dustbin in central London, and I was like, that dustbin could talk. You know, it's been there for hundreds of years, and like the things, the things it must have seen
0: uh that's just psychology degree coming out of there yeah I was
1: like I was like because really Australia you know I lived in Sydney and like in a year you you know you get a group of friends you acclimatize and it becomes the norm almost you know and um it's only been around for 150 years Australian culture it's not really a culture and so that's great in one sense there's lots of opportunity there to like for me as a young guy to make an impact in the advertising industry and help brands but but then coming back to London I was like fuck this is like next level now like I have to, I, like I would be wasteful if I didn't try and start something myself here um, and make use of like the opportunity that, that this city offers. Yeah. And so um, pretty much like I came back, we had a little like a, like home welcoming party thing on, in Hammersmith. We like all my mates out at the pub and I was like on it. Like as soon as I got off the plane, I was on it and I, I got a job straight away at an advertising agency here, but I was also like, I need to do something. I need to do something. And I think, and John was at that party, like my welcome back party and, and we were just chatting and spitballing ideas and he was actually practicing as an artist here in London, um, taking his work to galleries and kind of like getting rebuffed and I'd always been practicing art on the side as well and and we kind of just like put our heads together and and were chatting about the, you know, the, how the art industry is so elitist and how it's, you know, it's not really su- supporting the artist that we were like um, researching and supporting and, and writing about and you know i referencing in sketchbooks and stuff um and and there was a space in um on Turnham Green Terrace I kept driving past it it was empty it was empty it was empty it was in a charity shop that had been emptied out and I was like just like let's just fucking do this like come on let's let's like put something together and and uh do a show and create a brand really that was like a big thing creating a brand that would actually um stand for something stand for what we believed in and what we believed Um, should be the norms of the industry. And so the whole Unit London premise is, you know, when you say Unit London, the first thing you say is you, and the you symbol is our logo. And really that's like, that's symbolic of putting you, like whether you're an artist or an enthusiast or a collector or a museum director or whatever, putting you at the heart of the art experience. Because the big thing for us was like, actually... As a person walking into a gallery, just Joe blogs off the street, you walk into a big gallery in Mayfair and you just don't feel like you're allowed to be there. You know, you feel like you're treading on eggshells or you ask for information, but you don't really want to. And the girl behind the desk doesn't really want to give you it either because you don't look like you're going to spend any money in there. And, it, and then the whole thing, like even if you like the artists that they're showing, the whole thing just becomes awkward and tense. And yeah. even now that I'm in the industry, like I know lots of people in the industry now and we're here in Mayfair, I still have that feeling walking into big galleries <laughs> And for me, it shouldn't be like that. It, sh- it shouldn't be, like, art shouldn't be something that we box up and package in this really sterile and elitist kind of um, way. It should be presented in a human context, you know, mm. so people can enjoy it, they can have a conversation around it. Um, and so basically, that was at the heart of the thing, was putting you at the heart of the art experience. Um, and UNIT London was going to stand for a united kind of unit collective of artists, for other artists, Um And presented in a way that was celebratory, that was human, and that would allow um, anybody, you, to come in and enjoy it and and, um, take something away with you. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the founding premise of the business, um, celebrating, basically just celebrating talented artists. That's what it's all about, celebrating good creativity, regardless of where that artist might have studied or might not have studied, regardless of whether they're male or female, old or young, from London, from China. It doesn't matter to us. We just, we're trying to identify great talent and originality and then give them a platform. That was always what it was about. And so obviously that first platform in Chiswick was, uh, it wasn't really a platform, to be honest. You know, like the first show was, I remember like um, basically getting onto Facebook and messaging every single person that I was friends with on Facebook to like share like our Facebook page that we set up for unit London. And um, it's funny, like I was actually trying to message somebody recently um, who she's, she's just started her own company. She's a friend of mine from Manchester, started her own company and she's in the the Forbes 30 under 30 list. And um, I went to message uh, the only contact I have for her is through Facebook messenger. And I went to pull up to write her a message. And the last <laughs> message was from me, like 2000, uh, 2013, Asking her to share my <laughs> um, Facebook page for Unit London, um, but yeah, and, and that's what it was. It was just like basically harassing people to follow it and believe in it, and you know, really just trying to get our message across. And uh, and yeah, that was kind of that's kind of how we started. But the, the premise for it is really just trying to engage people again in the art industry. And I think now, as we've grown, we've are we're, we're able to realise that that message and that vision so much. Better And in so many more interesting ways, because we now have a genuine audience, like a big global audience, yeah. um, as opposed to just like my mates on Facebook. Yeah, um, And obviously we have a big gallery space now in Mayfair and another one in Covent Garden. So yeah. we, we have like the physical spaces where people can come and like have a real touch point with the brand and the artists and what we're about. And then also like a huge social and online presence as well. Mm. So we now have a genuine platform to give these artists a voice. And um, we run this program called looking for you, which is actually about to morph this year into something called unit Uncovers, which I think we spoke about a little bit last night. I, yeah. I mentioned it um, and looking for you. We've traditionally just given um, one artist every week that's emerging unknown. And we drive, we use our Instagram page basically to drive traffic to their page and it's been so amazing because we we constantly come across these artists who are just like they have nothing. You know, they're not at school, they're not, uh, they have no access to the industry. And what
0: they they're, they're contacting you, or you're just coming across them. Uh, sometimes doing they contact on, us. You do like a call out to your audience yeah, audience. yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So we ask them to hashtag looking for you on their work, and and as soon as they do that, like we can search the hashtag. That's and great. Find all these. and there's some great and 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 then sometimes we reach out to those artists that we're kind of already familiar with. Um, to ask them if they they'd like to be promoted, and then yeah, we we do a couple of posts for them that week and drive traffic to their page, and then, I mean, without exception, you know, they get like ten, fifteen sales inquiries. They get big collectors who then follow their page, and it just gives them like a nice leg up. And that's like the, that's like magic for us. That's what it's that's what it's all about. It's like giving those talented artists who really deserve it deserve a voice and deserve a platform, giving them that opportunity to develop their practice and like. Fulfill their role or, you know, help them fulfill their their ambitions as, as artists. It's a fucking hard industry to to break into. As yeah. a young artist, doesn't matter how talented you are. Like, if you're not... Um, and this is changing, by the way, and we're trying to help this change. But it um, doesn't matter how talented you are if you don't have the right connections and you're not exposed to the right people or you're not of commercial value or you don't look good or you don't speak well about the work or whatever... It's fucking difficult to, yeah. to get yourself a successful career and sustain a family and a lifestyle as an artist. It's really, really hard. And it's the same in like most of the creative disciplines. Like fashion is the same. Um, the music industry is the same. But what but what is changing, I always use the music industry as a great example, is like obviously social media has this amazing like democratizing, mobilizing power for like young creatives and and young business owners and um, individuals across the world. You can start your own Kind of story, and you can you can build an audience yourself to the point where actually, like the the big labels in the music industry, the big galleries in the art industry, the big fashion houses, whatever it is, they used to hold all the power because they had A and R's or scouts, whatever, who would go out and they would select talent basically based on their small network of um, uh, you know venues or, or suppliers or whatever you want to call them. They would select their talent and it would all be based on what would basically sell best, what would be like commercially best for them. And that's come to define what we know as like pop music and what we know as like, um, you know, the the big artists of the previous generations. It's all selected by a small group of people. But then I always like, I always use Ed Sheeran as an example because I just think it's so great. Like he's the kind of guy who would never usually be selected by an A&R 20 years ago.
0: What, because of the like look and- The way he looks and,
1: you know, he's like a kind of, he's a chubby kid and he's ginger hair and he's like dresses badly. And he's a bit goofy. Like he's not a rock star 20 years ago. And, and if the industry hadn't, um, if social media hadn't come along, he would have, he may not have ever gotten picked up because there's plenty of talented kids like that out there. Mm. Um, but he was going out, he was hustling, he was recording himself, um, putting videos out on YouTube. Um, and he built this audience himself. He built a, such a big, big audience that the A&Rs had turned around eventually and were like, this kid has got our our audience he's got our listeners like we have to sign this guy and now he's like number one global recording artist in the world or you know he had like
0: yeah he's huge well, that's it yeah has democratized pretty much every industry and you know obviously through instagram as well as a kind of visual first yeah. platform you yeah. know as an artist or a musician or, or photographer you know yeah. it's a fantastic way to gain that audience yeah exactly. i want to go back to you know you just mentioned then the importance of the platform of the of the unit and kind of championing emerging artists Mm. um, in an elitist industry Mm. how did you and john muscle your way in like you know you did your first art gallery in chiswick but then from growing to then having a space in covent garden and soho and then now you're like in a pretty lush kind of you know art gallery in mayfair Mm. like what were some of those stepping stones to like you know you did kind of your initial first exhibitions then you grew I mean did you have to get investment like how did you get these artists to give you the art like how did you grow what were some of those key milestones uh it's all hustle man yeah (laughs) it's all hustle
1: I think like I mean there's been times like along the way where it's just been um almost like it was wrong for us to think that we could make it a success um for for the first year of the business I was working in my advertising job so I was working pretty much 9 to 5 so um First base in Chiswick, we got, and you know, we basically were like, Look, we'll clean up the space for you. We know it's been empty. You're probably paying business rates on the space. Like, we'll just, can we just do a one month pop up? That one month then turned into like four or five months because we just never basically heard that there was a tenant coming in. So we were just kind of riding our luck and it turned <laughs> into six months. We are like, Oh, this is kind of great. Then when we got the call, like, Oh, we've got a tenant, like, you guys have to leave. We were like, Oh, right. We had to then make a call of whether, like, that was fun. We leave that there. We had a nice reaction, did a great show. Or do we like use this as like the first step and then and really like develop this and, and give it everything? And obviously we decided on um, the latter. And um, but that first, the first year of the business, whilst we were in that space in Chiswick, I was working in my ad job nine to five and that money was funding that space. And John would be sitting in the gallery From you know from nine until five, and then I would always try and leave work a little bit early, rush back from uh, from Old Street, and I, me and John would work together in the gallery until like two, three o'clock in the morning, and we just do the same thing over and over. And it was um, yeah, it was like a difficult year because we'd never we'd never run a gallery before, we'd never run a shop before, we'd never like used a PDQ machine, like we never sold anything really, apart from like the odd bits on eBay, you know, like we'd never sold art before. And so uh, it was really bizarre. Like I remember our first sale, like this guy, it was about seven o'clock, eight o'clock. And I'd like rush back from from the office and get, like we we're in the gallery and we, I used to stand like in the doorway as people, as people were like leaving the tube and going to their homes. I would stand in the doorway and just like literally drag people in. Like You've got to come and see this. Like it's a new exhibition. This gallery's going to change the world. These artists are like the next generation. And these. Like, I think people just felt sorry for us. They, I think they <laughs> took pity on us and were like, it was almost like, I think the first sale was like a, a charity case for this guy. He came in and um obviously saw that we were like very young and I like, we were desperate to sell something. Cause I think we'd gone like three weeks without selling a single thing. And, you know, we were selling works from like a hundred pounds up to like say two thousand pounds was like the most expensive piece. And um he came in and he walked around and he went, like, what's this? And I talked to him through the work. It was a, uh, it was a, a limited edition kind of print image from Januz Morales, who's actually an artist from the Philippines, um, that we'd managed to, he basically sent us the image and we printed it off and framed it. Um, and we were selling it for like 200 pounds. He's like, what's this? I told him about it. He's like, I'll take it. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> huh? you, I was like, I was always like, you sure? <laughs> you know? I was like, yeah, I'll take it. And I was like, great. And it was at that time, it was like, right, I'll take it off the wall. I'll like wrap it up for you. Didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Didn't have any like bubble wrap. So it was just like this really like awkward, like embarrassing situation. Then we get to, he's like, I'll pay on card. And I was like, oh God, right. I haven't actually used the PDQ machine. Before. Oh wow. So John's there like frantically trying to set this thing up and turn it on and connect it. I'm trying to make small talk with this guy, like both so nervous, didn't know what we were doing. And, and the PDQ machine didn't connect and we didn't make the sale. So he, and I think it got to a point where he was just like, don't worry, look, I'm just going to come back. I'll come back tomorrow. And he left and we had the piece and this fucking pdq machine which didn't work and we just looked at each other and we're like what the fuck are we doing like this yeah. is this is ridiculous <laughs> we can't sell anything this is never going to work fortunately he came back in the next day the next evening and obviously we'd like made sure that machine was working by then and he came in and bought the piece and that was our first sale um but i think that's just like a good example of us just like you know just learning on the job as we've gone um and I think, yeah, the first when I, uh, when we left that Chiswick space, um, we found the space in Covent Garden. I think John was up he was like up at the theater or he was like up in Covent Garden, and he took a photo of um, this space which was empty, and it had a sign in the window saying, "Shop to let blah, blah, blah. and I was like well, i 'm just going to give it a call and see what happens called them I was like look we're um, we 're london 's uh, <laughs> most exciting emerging gallery." We've got all these clients, we've got the most amazing art, like we want to bring, um, we, we want to turn seven dials in Common Garden into like the London's leading destination for culture. And I'm like, oh, this sounds, this sounds interesting, let me put you through to M Steele, who deals with like pop-ups. I was like, that sounds great. Two weeks later, we're in the offices at Shaftesbury, basically pitching our hearts out to get this space. And yeah, within three weeks, we secured the space. Basically, Amazing. and um they gave it to us for six months with like a two week um clause for us to be basically booted out, yeah, so um, so it was great for them because it was flexible. We did up the space, and we and we ended staying up in that space for i think six months um before they kicked us out when they eventually kicked us out, we asked them, I was basically like look you you know we we've done so much for the area, like you need to keep us here, and they would just put us in another one of their stores so yeah. I think we had within the space of three years we had like um six spaces and seven dials in Covent Garden. We just kept moving. Um, And obviously it was very low rent because we were, my argument was like, look, we're bringing you great people. We're bringing clients to the area. We're we're bringing bars and activity. And they loved that. Mm. And so they were quite happy to just let us fill their empty spaces for them um, uh, for very, very low rent. Pretty much peppercorn, we paid the business rates and just made the space look good. Um, So economically worked well for us because we weren't paying rent, but we had this fucking amazing space in the middle of Covent Garden. And it was at that point where I quit my job and I was like, right, we're just going to go at this full time, both of us. Um, and and then things started to really take off because we were in there every day. We were like pouring our hearts and souls into it. Uh, and we were meeting like amazing people. Like, you know, you'd had these tourists come over from the States who were staying in the Covent Garden Hotel who would just be wandering past and they'd pop in. And as soon as they pop in, we're like action mode. And yeah. then we started getting good at selling. You know, and then we started to like really like um, fine tune our pitches and we knew how to talk to people and we started selling really, really well in those spaces to like amazing international collectors, like big people who would fly over from Hong Kong or wherever they come like tourists visiting London. And we started growing this, this kind of sales um, machine and like this, um, this database and this audience. And alongside that, obviously we're doing loads of work, um, building the brand and you know championing this ethos you know we had we exist for you like plastered on the front of the window and you know we were doing all this like guerrilla marketing and we were giving out leaflets to all the local retailers to try and get their customers to come to us and being very collaborative and and just using basically like lots of marketing principles from what i'd learned in advertising and also looking at the film industry and the music industry and looking at how they um promote and market new shows or albums that are coming out um and applying those principles to the art industry and promoting our art shows. And uh, we used to get like packed out rooms, even in those common garden spaces, we used to have like packed out shows. Um, and we always tried to make a spectacle of it, you know. Um, yeah, and that was that was an amazing that was an amazing trip, and it was obviously just me and John. Then at that point, so we had this huge space. Come on, guys! It was the old Adidas original store. Yeah. So like, you couldn't imagine. I mean, literally,
0: like the first day we walked into that space, we were like, "What is this? Like, what have we done here?" And part of that hustle, though, getting the art and stuff, because I know, like, you know, I've in the industry. I mean, you kind of have to have some cash up front, like, to get the art, or like because of everything that you're championing and. Mm. The kind of the same thing you know with getting the space at low rent and things like that I mean were you talking to artists and being like oh you know let us just exhibit your work and then if we get sale we'll get a commission or, or was that kind of it initially like how did you build yeah, and grow to yeah. yeah that was it
1: that was it was um, uh, we take the works on consignment we promote the works yeah. um, we champion them and try and sell it for them but we wouldn't buy the works up front yeah. we never do that really Yeah, only now are we starting to like hold back works from our key artists to build up basically build our own collection um uh but no at that point at that point no it's like there's we didn't have any money basically because yeah. all the money all the money that i was earning in my ad job was going into the the um the rent for the spaces that we had even though it was like you know it's like you'd be paying like 200 300k a year just for the rent on a space like that if we had it on a full lease yeah
0: wow. we were getting it for like
1: you know like 20 grand
0: yeah um and but and that's where all my all the money was going and at that same time you were you know, it's just you and Johnny. Two of you, all the hustle, everything. Like, I love that. And then was at, and then at the same time, you're then building really the kind of the audience through Instagram and stuff. Is that what yeah, you're doing? Man. And exactly, yeah. It's the two of us. I mean, when I say hustle, I mean it's literally to the point where, like,
1: the, I mean, this table, for example, was yeah. this we've had this for like three years. That's why it's like scuffed up. And this was free. We got this for free. Yeah. I mean, the chairs, like these chairs are sitting on. we got these for free. Yeah. Um, We still have stuff in storage that we just got for free from people from Pure Hustle. I mean, everything that we did from the venues, the spaces, um, the furniture, the fittings, everything was like just hustled basically Um, in exchange for like us helping them, promoting them or whatever it was. Um, uh, And then alongside that, it was... Yeah, because we couldn't. We also couldn't afford like press. We couldn't afford a press tea or a PR officer, or, or we couldn't pay to put an ad out in a in a paper. Or but but you magazine, did. You, but so. you did
0: position yourself. Because I remember when you guys launched, and it was like, it was so cool because all the artwork that you have, like it was my take. Like I loved it, you know. And I think because you were young, it was fresh, it was new, and you had like mm-hmm. I remember you having some really cool. um like you had like, you know, sculptures or um, I can remember one, it was like a shark and an AK-47. Yeah, um, Chris
1: Scholes, yeah. And yeah.
0: like, you had all this cool stuff. So I guess it, you were kind of one of the first galleries in London that was enchanting this new type of contemporary art, modern yeah. art. And that mm. so with that, you were kind of getting hype and build because there wasn't really a gallery exhibiting similar work. Right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think the thing is
1: that like there are lots of galleries that definitely are exhibiting new works and, and and younger artists and stuff. But I think it's a combination of us not being... Um, necessarily focused on the art schools or getting grads from art schools because essentially those schools are churning out the same type of work you know it's it's, it's there's variation there but it's the same type of work because they're all like learning following a educators. curriculum yeah yeah um we were looking at like again doesn't matter where they're from what their background is as long as it's good work we want to support it so like yeah i on very first show we had an artist from the philippines i mean like he's based in manila he didn't he barely spoke english but we were like we fucking love your work can we have something and he was gracious enough to give it to us. Um, Chris Scholes and artist is from LA. He shipped works over. And, and bear in mind, I mean, we, lo- we're, we're just, we are so passionate about it. We yeah. love this stuff. So when like a crate arrives from LA, we're like, fuck, <laughs> like, this is amazing. Like, and then we just bust our balls to try and sell it to whoever we could so that we could pay the artist and um, get more work from the artist, you know. And, um, and all that curation,
0: that's basically you, you and Johnny's taste
1: yeah absolutely yeah and, absolutely. and still and, and the work that, today is it still kind of today still yeah. what
0: you like what you're passionate about and then you're kind of looking for a similar type of artist yeah exactly
1: like the first the, that first show in chiswick was we had our own works in that show um alongside someone like ryan hewitt or jake wood evans who are still with us today like two of our leading artists no
0: art left ever from the charity shop no art left no <laughs> no, no no
1: well actually saying that i think we still have some janu's morales like i found one in our storage recently and um love his work and we'll keep that as like a momentum because yeah. it's such a like throwback to those times. But I mean, someone like Ryan Hewitt, like he's probably our leading artist at the gallery. Um, he was in our very first show and, and actually like in terms of like cost and expenditure for like getting works in, we had two, two tiny pieces from him, which are like a door And they were like, I think they were 600 pounds each. And he just happened to have them with his photographer in London. Like, and I drove over in a van to this guy's house. And I was like, yeah, I hear you have two Ryan Hewitt pieces. He said I could have them for a, an exhibition that I'm doing. And he took me in, his hat, he took out these two roll cameras, gave them to me. And I was like, oh, fuck, they're not stretched. Like, they were just rolled up in a tube. Oh, right. And I was like, so I'm going to have to get these stretched. It's like, that's like 150 quid. Yeah. like, oh, but I have to show them. So I went and got them stretched. And then they were on the wall and they weren't selling. They didn't sell for like a month. And I was like, "They're so great. Like, why aren't people buying them? They were quite dark. And the first show we did was quite dark. And I thought that might've been why, but then I was like, mm, maybe if I just like got them framed, I'd be able to sell them. And I remember going to the framers, bring them in and they framed them for free for me. And I said, look, and when they sell, they would like three doors down. I was like, look, please put these in a beautiful frame. If I sell them, I'll pay back. Did that, sold them. And I think they sold for like 650 quid each. And, we actually are now in conversation with the collector buying them back for 10 grand. Wow. Um, and he's now one of our leading artists. Like we have waiting lists of like nearly 400 people now for the new works of Ryan's. He's got a big show coming up here in July and then we'd take him to um, the Goss Michael foundation in Dallas for a big show there in November. Um, but he, you know, he's grown with us like the whole way. And now, you know, when we started working together, he was working out of the shed in his back garden. And now like after like four sold out shows and like, all this like amazing attention he's got from, collectors and critics internationally uh he's, he's got beautiful family he's got you know like a home he's got like a huge studio now in cape town um where he works from and and his just his practices evolved and developed in such an amazing way and that's like amazing for us that's like to see his growth and like the artists that have been basically gracious enough to like put a bit of faith in us when we started as two like 22 year olds with no credibility whatsoever to now be able to like to, just to see what he's doing and to put on these amazing shows in this amazing space for him, it's like it's so great when he comes over because we've gone on the journey together
0: from yeah. there to to here now. Yeah, and it must be great to kind of yeah the, go being on that journey with him and
1: yeah, it's the best. Honestly, it's like the most rewarding thing. It's the yeah. most rewarding thing. And
0: and how 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 have you got to be in this space here in in Mayfair? Uh,
1: so this came. I should really work out how many spaces we've had. I just lost count after like so but, many. Because
0: this, happened, I mean, arguably, would you say it's like like this is kind of it this is like the hq or i mean you're looking at more spaces you're gonna <laughs> open in la new york like what you know what, what what's on what's on the horizon
1: yeah this is the, this is the london office now for yeah. sure like i don't
0: think we can get any better than this in london yeah um well yeah Location's amazing and like yeah. just the way it's laid out and it's it's a beautiful space it's really cool
1: thanks man it's it's like we're really pleased with it we're really really pleased with this um but the, i mean the, the plans are definitely to expand globally um thing is, we have a great audience online and, like, the collectors who buy from these shows tend to be international anyway. So, like, most of the show, like, the Hong Hongi show right now, like, some of them are shipping to the Middle East, some of them are shipping to the States, some of them are shipping to Singapore, mainland China, Hong Kong, um, as well as, like, here in London and Europe. So it's, like, we already have the collectors and the um, communities in those, like, cities around the world. Um, and so it, it makes sense for us to, to eventually open up there. But the plan right now is basically to get the London office, like completely sorted get this team fully operational um performing like 100 percent, and then and then we'll look to expand but right now we're doing we're doing loads of like international shows i like mean just did a show a big show in la um to tie in with freeze with philip colbert which was hugely successful it was in the um the uh, it was in the old and gallery space on beverly boulevard which where the hockney showed and um it's got like a real character and history, that space. And it's actually the last exhibition that's going to be held in that building before they tear it down. But that was great. We, did, we basically like actioned a show within two weeks and it was incredible. We're doing some stuff in Dallas. We were just out in Dallas doing some stuff there as well. Um, we're doing something in Shanghai in November. So there's lots of like international shows. We're also doing something in Monaco in a couple of weeks time. So uh, even though this is the London office, we, we do operate on a very like international level. And that's really important because there's like big markets opening up in especially Asia uh, and they're collecting lots of like contemporary art from Western artists. um, And also like very passionate and engaged with contemporary art and they want to start collections themselves. So, um, so yeah, it's just getting this London office sorted and then looking uh, to expand internationally. And we we don't want to do it too quickly. Like we've had lots of offers. Like we did, we did a few interviews like when we were even like in, in our Soho space in like 2016 where I think I mentioned the word franchise and it was with the Business Insider and ran, like random throwaway interview, but it just blew up online and it went over all of their like international Business Insider pages. And we were just getting flooded with people like, I love this brand. I want to open, like, can we open Unit Bangladesh? And it was like, whoa. And literally had offers from like all the major cities in the world from like really big, like investors wanting to like open up. And, and at that time we're like, fuck, this is so exciting. Maybe we should look at these opportunities. But then it was like, no, let's take a step back. Let's like, let's do this strategically and like um, take our time. Because ultimately we are young. And I think the big test from what I've, you know, like I have a few mentors and people who kind of, I go to for business advice and stuff sometimes um, who have always said like, the real marker of success is whether you're still here in 30 years. If the gallery is still around in 30 years and, and doing well and it has a good reputation, that's success. It's not having 10 galleries by the time you're 30 that's not like really the barometer of success and obviously we're so ambitious we want to we just want to take over we want to we want to like turn our artists into the leading artists in the world but it does take time it doesn't happen overnight and so that's been that's been kind of like a, a learning curve for us i'd say and this is coming from someone who we're doing 18 shows this year <laughs> uh most galleries do like six or seven you know, so so we are we are ambitious, and we are we are like moving fast, but but it's also like important to take a step back sometimes and just mm. you know, make sure that we're doing things strategically in, in a considered way. Um so we don't get ahead of ourselves.
0: And so how so eighteen shows, how are you creating them? Do you have like art scouts or is it just still you on Instagram looking at artists, or is it kind of a much more planned now?
1: Uh it's more structured now. Yeah. Definitely more structured. But I mean it's still I mean it's still like I spend so much time on Instagram just looking, you know, yeah. like trawling pages going down random rabbit holes finding like new artists and um and we and we have like a responsibility to do that now because our audience looks to us for new talent and like um so we definitely have a responsibility to do that we feel that every day um but our shows now are planned you know next year is pretty much all booked up now already what 2020? Um, yeah. 2020, yeah, um, and it's so funny. Like I was saying something this one last night. Like when we like two years ago, we didn't know whether we were going to still be in the space in two weeks' time. Yeah, and so we were getting all these like amazing offers and like speaking to these incredible artists. Like, let's do a show, yeah. and they're like, "Yeah, well, I'm booked up for this year, but let's do next year." And we were always like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> like, I don't know if we're going to be here next year. Um, so we couldn't book those things in. But now that we have like a sense of permanence and like an HQ, like we're here for fifteen years. Yeah, that's that's the lease that we have. So like. So we can now plan ahead and plan in advance, which allows us to, to book in much more ambitious exhibitions as well. So artists can be working for a whole year on a body of work and like a concept and installation. And so, and that's given us a real like, A, just a just relief that yeah. we don't have to constantly worry about whether we're going to be
0: kicked out. Yeah, no, you have a bit of a base.
1: A base and uh, yeah, and a real like a solid foundation to to build on. So yeah, but, but it's still us, like Johnny and I, that we, we decide the shows and we work, we find the artists. And
0: what, what and is the team constantly. then? Is it... What's it made up of? How many of you have in the team?
1: Um, we've got about 20 in the team right now. And there's a couple more joining in the next couple of months. Um, uh, we have an events team. We have an exhibitions team. Um, and a kind of gallery management team, if you like. Um, a content, in-house content team, which is a big part of what we do.
0: Um, and then a sales team. And did you like, you know, as two young guys, I mean, did you have advisors or, or kind of mentors that kind of steered you along the way? Or do you have like a board of directors or like trustees or or is it just still kind of you know just you and johnny
1: it is still really just us we we have um i was planning last year on setting up like a more formal advisory board like a non-exec advisory board and and over the course of the last couple of years we've we've got clients and like collectors and just friends of the gallery let's say that have just been so supportive yeah in terms of like just being there for us like when we needed it like you know when I if, if if which happens pretty much every other day like something goes wrong and I've never dealt with it before and I'm doing my best but then I'm like fuck I, you know I, I could really use some advice like I've got people now that I can call and be like this is happening like what should I do and they're like oh here like you should speak to this guy or this lawyer or whatever um, and it's amazing because they're, they're not like th- there's no formal capacity for them at this stage they're, they're just helping because I think because we're young and they want to see us
0: succeed, yeah, and they believe in what. Believe in what you, yeah, that's it. Believe in the mission, exactly, and that's
1: so amazing to have, and it has been invaluable, and 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 it has been in my plans to set it up as a formal board. Uh, it's just I haven't had the time
0: to do yeah, it. Yeah, I really. mean, arguably that, that is kind of the traditional way of working, but you guys, <laughs> if you're kind of hustling and kind of you know working in in this kind of new way, then then why not? If it's if it's working, don't don't fix it if it's not broken. Yeah, know? exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. It's, but it's, it's like, as you grow, it's like your role changes so much. Yeah like having start it's like managing the people making sure your people are performing to their best to the best of their abilities as opposed to you doing it yourself yeah Uh, and there's there's been a lot of like having to let go of control over the last couple of years of things because everything we do is such attention to detail yeah that's also something that separates us from a lot of other galleries is everything is done artistically from the way that we communicate to the way that we present ourselves the way the gallery looks everything is like you probably don't notice it but like if i come in and there's like a scuff like a tiny scuff in the wall i'm like
0: Recap. Well that's it. I think that it does what sets sets you apart. And even for me, you know, coming to the event last night, you know, and even like your socials. I mean, I work in advertising and like, you know, some major brands don't even do like the kind of the quality of like the narrative of the Instagram stories and stuff. And mm-hmm. and like what you know, then I got served another kind of like swipe up insta story. Um <laughs> today about the artist from last night and it's like a beautiful kind of montage video you know that kind of shows the making process like it's yeah. really smart yeah i mean do you have do you outsource that do you have a team like what is that process when you know you're having a new artist exhibit is it like a you know, this is a unit London kind of ready to do an exhibition package. We're going to like, you know, take your photos. We're going to record you. Like what, what is that? It's so
1: funny you say that because we literally, in the last, like, I think three weeks, the guys have put that together. Ah, so and yeah. it's, it, it, previously it was literally a case of like me just chatting to them and being like, we, we're we going to need like some fucking cool video. We need some content blah, blah, blah. and it would just come through in drips and drabs. But now like the, like our teams are so good. They've set up this basically a pack yeah like the, the art the percent of the artists the artists in the studio fill out and send back to us and like we transfers with like files which have to be uh correctly labeled and everything and it's and so everything's just become much more organized and structured um which is so great you know and um but but yeah it's, it's in-house it's in-house it started off me and me and john still run the instagram the the posts and then we have our content team go out and they film it, they spend days going to meet the artists at the studio, spending time with them, filming them, um, capturing basically the most like organic content that we can get from the artist so that we can then project that to the audience. Because traditionally galleries just get in the way and you know, they they kind of, um, you're not allowed to see the artist, you're not allowed to meet the artist unless you're a top collector. You know, you don't, don't, we'll tell you like what the artist does, we'll tell you like how it should be positioned. But actually like, that's never like a genuine, very rarely a genuine um, reflection of what the artist is actually about. You know, it's like, if you go to an artist studio and you see him moving around paintings, the, the casual way they just chuck paintings around, you know, that's what art, that's what it really is from the artist's perspective. And then you look at like the auctions and you go to Christie's and it's like these, these suited guys with yeah. white gloves holding them like these precious like like ornaments and instruments. It's like, actually that's not what art really is and I think what we need to do like like one of our core um, missions is to try and get back like get people back engaged with what the artists are actually about like get rid of all the pretense all the bullshit that comes in between and let people hear the artists speak about their practice because if you like if you or I like you know um, your average person who's not necessarily from the art world doesn't really understand it doesn't spend time walking around galleries that often but who probably would like to and like has a potential interest in learning about art and going on that journey and maybe even starting a collection um they're not being spoken to by galleries in in their language yeah you know and and they don't like being told that so-and-so um has endorsed this or they showed it so-and-so place and therefore listen to this like basic like rationale to position this work in a very like high fluting context, which you probably won't understand. Actually, like if you speak to the artist, you'll get a much better understanding of what they do, why they're doing it. And you, and the average person can can engage with them and relate to them on a human level Mm. and really appreciate the work. And then they go, Oh fuck, actually, I really like this. This is great. You know, Um, it's, it's kind of breaking down that, like that barrier of elitism that gets in the way, I think. And, and ultimately disillusions a lot of our generation, to the to the idea of going to a gallery because they most people are just like well if I go into a the gallery they, I'm not going to understand the work they're going to treat me like I'm an idiot like I shouldn't be there and then you have one bad experience in a gallery like that and you're like art's not for me contemporary art is bullshit you know yeah uh, it's rubbish my granny could paint that yeah there's that yeah that, yeah I there's know, that
0: snobbery around it but then it's also yeah it's like it's allowing everyone to appreciate art and it, but it I mean at the end of the day you know it, it is a weird kind of climate or like ecosystem the art you know because you have these artists that may not you know they're not you know they're emerging artists not getting don't have loads of money or whatever and then Mm. they they ultimately want to get notoriety so then they ultimately can get cash for their artwork yeah but then so that's an interesting kind of growth journey and then you have you know galleries that's so refreshing like the unit okay yeah yeah main fair because you need to be around people that are going to buy the artwork and you need to run and do a platform but at the same time having an kind of the understanding or respect and accountability to be like you know no we're going to also open it up and and kind of ensure that there isn't that element of snobbery and stuff as well it's, yeah. there's lots of different kind of yeah paradigms indeed
1: I to- mean, when, when we opened Mayfair I mean there were people who were like oh so you've just sold out
0: yeah
1: and I was like well hang on no 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 we haven't sold out like we have a duty to our artists to to like present them in a place where they're going to be taken seriously yeah but we can do that while staying true to our values. We can have a space in Mayfair and still have the door open, and still be open seven days a week, and still have smiley people behind the front desk who want to speak to you and will give you time. Yeah, we'll still do shows and like invite our entire database and like turn it into a big party. Like, it doesn't have to be the just because we're in Mayfair, it doesn't have to be like a stuffy Mayfair gallery where we treat people um, as if they shouldn't be there. You know, it's like it's and that was what was really exciting for us. is like taking the step and making a bold statement by coming. To like the 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 heart of the old guard art world and trying to disrupt it, yeah, pretty much.
0: And what is that? So you, you're as a brand now, you're you're looking at different kind of extent brand extension strategies or diversifying by um, what was the scheme that you mentioned? Earlier? The unit ah uh, uncovers uncovers yeah. yeah. So so mm. tell us a little bit more about that. Yes,
1: yeah, so uncovers is something which we're uncovering right now, <laughs> um, and it's like. It's it's really like uh, an extension of our looking for you program, which we've always had. Like our, the name of our very first exhibition was looking for you, and it was like you know basically an open call for artists. Like we want to work with you if you're talented and um, you're passionate. We want to hear from you, you know. And um, and unit uncovers is is basically a broader and more formal platform for us to be able to ask artists out there who maybe follow the gallery or know about us or, or don't know about us to um, show us their work. Yeah. And then we are creating like a content program. So we'll select um, an artist, um, but we also are opening it up to other creatives. So musicians, poets, dancers, designers, um, whatever it might be, we want them to apply as well. And then there's going to be a content program of of, um, basically casting a spotlight on those people, getting really in-depth interviews with them, allowing them to tell their stories, promoting them, and then ultimately um, having them uh, show an exhibition in the gallery, um, which will be in 2020. Uh, and, and really the idea is just to give a genuine platform and a global audience to a group of people, like individuals who are doing something special creatively and giving them the opportunity to tell their stories and giving our audiences an, a chance to actually um, interact and engage with their practices.
0: Um, and then you send as well, like, you know, you have this space that's kind of just here, you've got art on the walls, but then in terms of like, whether it's events or different things that you can do to, you know, do more with the community or kind of, yeah. you know, share more con- content or insight, whatever yeah. that may be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're working with So Far Sounds who are doing like some amazing stuff in the, like the music space. Um, we do lots of talks and like gallery tours and things like that. But as I was saying last night, it's like, it's, it's always been like a, I feel like it's a crime to leave the space at seven o'clock and lock up. Yeah. And have this like space in, mayfair this amazing space empty for yeah like i just find that there's something wrong about that for me i'd much rather it be used as and you know the guys like working now like like offering it out as studio space for young artists like in the evenings so whilst we're closed it's still being used as a creative space um yeah that's it's really important it's really important for me and also just like from a commercial financial sense i'm like it's just we, we're not at the point i don't think we ever will be at the point where we can just afford to have the space being empty like, I would much rather it be used for something. Like, whether it's an artist working here, as, you know, using it as a studio, whether it's, like, a photographer coming in and, like, doing something creatively, just so there's a buzz around the space and yeah. there's things happening. Like, it's important for me to know that I'm not paying rent on this space just for, like, half the time. If there's a 10-year lease, I don't want to use it for only five years. I want the whole 10 years, I want it to always be um, active and uh, for people to be, able to, to be able to enjoy it, basically. Yeah.
0: we We, we talked about, like, obviously how... Kind of a lot of people showing online, and you know, there's websites like Artsy and things like that. I mean, do do you think there's a threat to the industry that it'll just be all art showcased online? Will there still be a space for physical spaces in in years to come?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's lots of um, websites and apps and things that have uh, launched and then failed because ultimately they're trying to um, trying to basically turn the art world into like an ASOS. And yeah. like this idea of like add to cart just doesn't work. And actually Artsy's is great. Artsy is, I think one of the ones that have done it very well and they have been successful because they don't act as like, they don't sell art directly through their platform. They're like an intermediary. It's almost like a concierge service for a collector. Like you can hop onto Artsy, you can see like what's going on in the art world. Like what are the biggest shows happening right now? And it's a conduit for like you as a collector or just anybody from your home to be able to like contact that gallery. And start the conversation. Um, in a way that actually is like is is quite millennial feeling. You know, yeah. it's quite like they, they've got great content on there. They they have like a very stringent process for the galleries and the and the um auction houses and the fairs that work with them to make sure the content is very, very good. Um so they're doing well, but but it's it's never gonna replace the physical space. Yeah, like, you know, and that's why it's so important for us to have this. Like most of our sales happen online. And, you know, but, most but of,
0: after what is it more the processes come in physical see it all and then they, so they inquire online or no, some, they, have, some of our
1: biggest collectors have never been to the space <laughs> they've never been here and it's like but at the same time like if you look at that like from a completely clinical like objection uh, objective point of view and you it you would be like get rid of the physical space you don't need it if you're doing 80% of your sales online like just get rid get rid of the overheads this would be much leaner much better if you just do it offline uh, just keep it online yeah and um but it just wouldn't work like that it's like one of those like you can't treat clouds like clocks sort of situation you you know people need to know that there's a physical space so that they want to know that you have skin in the game that it actually exists physically yeah. and also like to be able to do shows like that's well, it i think for the artists it's a great artist without but yeah exactly. yeah because
0: a lot of the artists i mean i think the it's awesome when you go to um exhibitions and stuff and like for the art artists they want to tell a story, they want to have this immersive experience. So like, you know, I mentioned earlier, like even walking in upstairs, you walk in, there's a whole video kind of obviously with like the themes and inspiration of the artwork that's being exhibited. And then yeah. the floors like laminated with kind of the themes of the artwork. So you really do feel kind of involved with with the artwork and, and tell the story. So yeah, yeah. I mean that, that I think that is so an experience. Yeah. It's an experience. Yeah. And
1: that, and that's what we're moving into like generally across culture as well as like this experience economy where um you can create something incredible. And then use basically the online and social media to like broadcast that to thousands of people around the world. It's like what we're doing with this podcast. You know, it's like me and you having a chat in a room, but then this podcast goes out to however many people and like they get to enjoy it and listen to it. Um, That's really the role. But like, it's like saying, yeah, like like people who think that online is going to take over and these like investors who just know nothing about like the mechanics of the industry or the psychology of collectors or artists. They're just like, oh yeah, we can do that because it hasn't been done yet in the art world. Like happened in fashion. Happen in music, well, like, yeah, because not was wasn't happening in art yet. Let's do this, and it's like, no, you have to understand Like,
0: why do collectors collect? But like, people why do, why do people buy like you chips? know, 5,000 pound Gucci jackets on Nata Porta, you know? yeah. But then I don't know, I guess some people do that for art, but then yeah, I guess it's, it's more emotional art, exactly.
1: It's, a, it's an emotional experience. And like, if you go, like, half the reason people buy art isn't just because they like the look of the painting, it's because of the story behind it, yeah. And they, you know, they might have had an experience with the artist, they might have met them. They might want to support them in that way. They might have like stumbled into a gallery, like on a holiday or whatever, and met this crazy guy who like sold them the art. And when you go to their houses, like like some of our best collectors, they they have insane collections of like important artists, um, hundreds of works in their collection. And then you ask them what their favorite thing is, and it's like a, like a trinket that they got when they were, you know, like hiking in the Himalayas. And it's like yeah. this is the most prized thing in my collection. And You're like. There's yeah, there's Warhols, there's Olens, there's all yeah. these amazing things. Uh, so yeah, it's like it, for, for collectors, it's like the psychology and the the motivations for collecting are as much like emotional, social equity as like the aesthetics or the financial um, aspect of it. You know, it's very much about like the stories behind it, and that gives them like a certain cultural education or uh, like a cultural status that they can then show their friends or their like their groups. Look, this is. This is what I've acquired for these reasons, and they have stories to it. enriches them as as people, yeah. You know, and you, and if you're just adding adding to cart online, yeah, you're clicking and buying, and you you lose all of that. You lose that whole story, that element of discovery, of um, of interest, of passion, and and it, and so you'll never get big collectors doing that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's there. There is definitely like an avenue and a role for online and social in the art industry, and I think what we're doing with social media is probably. Currently, I think, like the best manifestation of that um but the idea that it's going to just turn into like if you buy and supersede the physical space I don't think will ever happen. there's always going to be a role for for galleries
0: yeah is it is a do you have much competition in London, or I guess it, I mean it's on more of a global scale or yeah there's there, there international galleries? galleries that we're, yeah,
1: I mean in London, yeah, there's definitely competition, I'd yeah. say
0: um but then I guess yeah, it's just it's about everything that we've discussed, you know, making sure the brands on point kind of providing the attention to detail and things like that then make you cut out through the noise. Yeah,
1: I mean, we've never... Uh, people often ask us, like, what galleries we compare ourselves to or, like what, like, what do we aspire to be? And we struggle to answer it because, like, we've never set out to be like any gallery. We've actually set out to, like, be not like any gallery in many ways. It's um, so, like, you know, like, old... In the like 17th, 18th centuries, like, you look at the old... What galleries used to be like? And it was, like, these... Uh, Thriving Busy Bustling places Where there's art everywhere And um, People having conversations Always busy Like always full of people And like dogs And You know like A real like buzz And an atmosphere Like A creative space Yeah and then you fast forward to today and like the state of the industry now you walk into a big gallery in Mayfair it's sterile empty like, yeah. cold yeah. sterile clinical it's like how what? like, yeah. what's happened like, so interesting what have we done to the industry to, that has become like that and what we're trying to do with this space with Unit London is it's all about community yeah you know the whole you thing is putting you at the heart of it, and it's bring trying to be. I mean, we have a dog here now as well. Yeah, like we have a rapper. beautiful dog, <laughs> big, deluxe uh, <laughs> like, dog. I think
0: <laughs> got the whole art art themes everywhere. Yeah. So, <laughs> but but that's
1: also. I mean, for me, it's like like most galleries, you'd never see a dog running around the space. But here, well, last I
0: was, night, I mean, the dog was just running around. I'm like, yeah, is this is this supposed to be here? And You're like, yeah, mate, it's mine. <laughs> of the gallery at
1: least, introduce himself to everybody.
0: The, the, but, the most gentle guard dog ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: But, but it's like, I, I love that because it's, it's an icebreaker and it makes people feel welcome.
0: Yeah. You know, do you, what about people, um, you know, kind of dare I say, it, we, we talked about the industry and the artists and galleries and stuff, but the people themselves, you know, there's a lot, you know, people could be listening to this and be like, oh yeah, well, you know, all those types of people kind of, you know, quite wealthy up their own ass or whatever. Like, yeah. I mean, do have those people, have they enjoyed kind of this evolution in the industry or like, a, is it being well received? Like it, I, th- I think mm. so. You know, I'd... yeah. It's,
1: or I there mean there's still it's... people that
0: like, oh, you know, it should be the way it was, and you know, or some people not liking the way it's kind of changed. Yeah,
1: no, there is that. There's like definitely that side of it. I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, a lot of um, uh, there is that like from the our generation and younger people and people who have like, the, like similar frustrations, and a lot of them are artists actually. Right when we started, we had such a great response from artists because they related to us straight away because we were we were basically in the same position as them and, and telling the same story. So they really supported us in the beginning, and then and then like younger collectors were like, yeah, these guys like you know most galleries like just don't speak to me or they won't sell to me or whatever. But these guys are great, and like they're, I'm going to support these guys and work with these guys. And as we've grown, like we have won over, I would say, or at least um, attracted the attention of a lot of the big collectors out there. And now we work with some of the biggest collectors in the world, like who are who have been buying from like, the biggest galleries at like the top three galleries and the auction houses. Um, seriously influential people with insane collections um, and really tastemakers of the industry who now like believe they don't just buy from us as another gallery they they see us as distinct and they're buying from us purposefully um, that's so exciting uh, but I, and I think the biggest kickback we've had is probably in the last couple of months for, as we've kind of gained more attention I'd say uh, is from gallery from other galleries we've had lots of galleries who've supported us but then there's lots of galleries who are going oh no you can't do that or, oh no, Instagram or like social and online is, is, isn't is real. That's not a real way to communicate. Um, and they're the same galleries who are complaining about not having enough collectors, yeah. uh, not getting footfall. Um, why why is no one buying art anymore? And I'm just going, they are. Yeah. People are buying art. You're just not communicating to them, right? Yeah. Um, you're not treating them in the way that they need to be treated. Like you're not offering them transparency. You're still trying to offer them this elitist high fluting messaging, which doesn't um, really work anymore with this new breed of collector and this new generation of people who actually are growing up with with brands and culture saying, tell us what you want. Like, you know, tell us, um, uh, why don't you drive the market? Why don't you drive the influence? And then we'll create a product which works for you. Like, that's how the world works now. It's not anymore like a brand saying, this is our product, take it. There's no other options on the market. Now, like, you can go online and research things yourself and find other products which are better or cheaper, or you can very quickly pick holes in a product. Yeah. And you know, that's, you have like Facebook now and or Netflix, like these big brands, Uber, Deliveroo, they're collecting data on their audiences. Um, and then they're creating that they're developing their brands and their products and their services constantly based on the, on our preferences. You know, if you, if you keep watching horror shows on Netflix Netflix are going to commission 10 more horror shows because they know that the sport's popular with their audience. And, um, and so like this, this culture that we live in is basically empowering the individual so much. And we just take it for granted. We don't really realize it's happening. But ultimately, we have so much power and influence now as, as a generation in culture and in consumerism and whatever. And, um, and we expect transparency. We expect to be able to type to Samsung or Apple or walk into the store or whatever and then respond straight away. Yeah. And the art world has basically been built on the ideals of complete opacity and, you know, smoke and mirrors and you're only allowed in if you're a certain person and da, da, da. And, and people are like, fuck that, I don't want it anymore. Yeah. I want I want someone to talk to me like a human. I want to like I want like an authentic experience that's real. And that's what basically we're trying to do. And a lot of the industry well, not even say a lot of the industry, but there's certain galleries and certain people who've uh taken objection to the idea that things should be transparent and open and that we should allow collectors and artists to have a more um, open dialogue and we should um, yeah kind of reach out and engage like younger audiences they're like that's not how it should happen or um, you know we have to dictate the taste and it's like well actually like good creativity can occur anywhere it doesn't have to just it, it's not necessarily dictated by one person who has a degree or who knows these important people. Why should they have the power to decide what is good art and what is bad art? Like, it's ridiculous. Like, like good work can come from an artist who's slaving away in a studio in, in Rotterdam or Hastings or somewhere like completely off the beaten track creating magic in the studio. But because he doesn't know so-and-so curator or because his father isn't so-and-so collector... They're not gonna get attention from that one person who's looking in their very close kind of small elitist pool. So basically it's like, let's let's just find good creativity wherever it exists and give them a platform and champion them. Like let's not look at like all the pretenses that come before it. And then once we find that talent, let's present it in a way that is um digestible and interesting for all manners of people. You know?
0: Yeah um love it couldn't agree more um and you can definitely tell you know the passion and everything you know with 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 the unit like it's awesome and yeah so interesting um Mm. sadly we're coming to the end of the episode um just kind of like for you you kind of sound like a very busy person i mean are you always on like how do you keep yourself sane do you like (laughs) what do you do to kind of you know make sure your well-being is top-notch and kind of productivity and stuff like that uh
1: Exercise is quite important, yeah, and it's something that slips a lot. But um, if I don't exercise, like I try and I try and run as much as I can, and like I swim quite a lot. Fine if I don't do that, like I don't have the energy to like keep going. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it is full on. Like it's it's pretty much twenty four seven. Yeah. Um. And it's the same for me and John. Both we're we're always pretty much on. Like from eight am until. Two, three o'clock in the morning.
0: Yeah, and the gal I mean, the gallery is open seven days a week, right? So seven days are you a week. here seven days a week, or is it just Monday to Friday? Or-
1: We're here Monday to Friday and then uh the weekends we now have off. Like for the first couple of years it was literally like Monday to Monday, yeah. um, every week. Um but now obviously we have a team and so like and we I think it's important that we give ourselves like a couple of days off per week. Um but yeah, just I think just exercise and just trying to like yeah, like look after ourselves I think is really important.
0: Awesome. Um, no, it's good, man. It's important. Especially when you're super busy and like you know, you're know you young, you're hustling, you've got to keep that brain in tip-top condition. Yeah, exactly. Especially with all these shows and free gin you're giving out. Um, how can people find you? What are, what are the channels? Um, social media, at The
1: Unit London on Instagram and uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Instagram is the big one. It's the best way to keep up with the gallery, I would say. Um, and the, our website, theunitldn.com. And then... Um, yeah come and pop into the space that's the best way like if you're in london um the door is pretty much always open it's a like so two minute walk from
0: oxford circus tube station yes, come really. on down <laughs> well joe you've been awesome thank you so much for um sharing so much insight with me today thank you thanks man cheers Pleasure. thanks for listening i hope this podcast can intrigue inspire and provide some key tips and tricks for a lot of people i would really appreciate your help to grow the community If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, then please send it their way. And if you can subscribe and leave a review, it would mean so much and it really supports the show. Thank you and see you next week.